Hey there, I'm Ashley and I'm a proud mama of two beautiful kiddos, a wife, a health and wellness coach, and a middle and high school shop teacher. Hi, I'm Roberta, mama, wife, educator. I'm an entrepreneur and homeschool mom navigating the work, family, social life balance. Together, we will discuss various topics near and dear to our hearts for teachers and mamas, like routines, health, habits, self-care, and so, so much more. Living a healthy lifestyle is for everyone from young children to adults. Health, wellness, and emotional and social well-being starts at home and should be expanded upon in the classroom. Everyone can benefit from the Teacher Mamas podcast. So if you're ready to learn some helpful tips, let's do this thing. Hello, podcast listeners. Roberta and I are super excited. We are interviewing Dr. Sarah Allen today. She is a pediatric neuropsychologist, and she translates applied brain science to the classroom and everyday life. She helps busy moms and schools efficiently and effectively learn to look at kids as little brains so they can raise happy, connected, successful humans building their brains without losing their minds. She is a mom, a parent, and teacher strategist, doctoral professor, and school program consultant. So she is still working in the schools. She has spent over 15 years studying neuroscience, which is super cool. Our brains are so cool. You guys, this episode is so fun. Um, she's also the author of the international best-selling and award-winning book, Raising Brains. And I can tell you, Roberta and I are excited to get our hands on a copy of this. So you guys should also check it out. Um, her work has been featured in Forbes, Pop Sugar, Philadelphia Inquirer, Philly.com, Lifehacker. She has been Featured on 6ABC, ABC15, NBC10, Good Day Rochester, Good Day Philadelphia, 957, Ben FM, Her Story, Why, The Pulse, NPR, and more. So um, she also has her own podcast, um, which is called uh, What's Happening Here. And the reason we are putting this out on a Tuesday instead of a Thursday is we wanted to give you guys a week heads up that she is doing a special teacher training. She usually sells this to districts for, you know, it's, it's pretty high ticket. And she is actually doing the same training for individual teachers for, I believe it's $24.99. So if you want to learn like new tools, not new tools, she doesn't, I don't think she gives you new tools. She gives you the tools that you have and matches them with the brain that you and your kids have so that like behavior management and skill building in school is so much easier. So I am actually, I am fairly positive I'm signing up for this as well. Um, I am very excited to learn more about our brains and I hope you guys are too. And I hope you really enjoy this episode. Look for the link in the show notes for that training that she's going to be doing. So what I would love to know is, can you tell us exactly what you do, what your education kind of focused on, um, and then how it brought you to where you are today? You know, we hear all these like fancy doctor terms all the time, and we don't usually know what they all mean. So if you could kind of break that down for us. 
Sure, I would love to. It's funny because I've told this story before, but if I go to a cocktail party and someone asks me what I do and I say, I'm a neuropsychologist, they're like, oh, a nurse? My sister's a nurse too. I'm like, no, I'm like a psychologist. And then they're like, oh, tell me what I'm thinking. I'm like, no, I can't. That's not nice. Um, and so, <laughs> so, you know, I appreciate this question very much because no one really does know uh, who I am or what I do. So I, I'm a clinical psychologist by training, but my concentration is in the brain. So it's brain behavior relationships relationships, really translating what we know about brain and the neuroscience of the brain to practice. And for me in particular, it's really about translating that practically to everyday life. Uh, people who know me know I'm big on efficiency and effectiveness and practicality. And, um, you know, my family structure is a unique one, although I would maybe say not as unique anymore. You know, I'm divorced and um, we have a blended family. I have two kids. He has two kids. And, you know, there's no book for that. There's no study for that. There's no one thing. Um, and it, through my experience, I did a lot of work in neurology clinics and in hospital settings. Um, and I started to get frustrated because we were making recommendations to school settings. And my father's been a teacher for, gosh, probably over 40 years now. And I knew that we didn't know very much about the schools as a neuropsychologist. And so I went into the schools. I ended up running a school for kids with um, Asperger's and learning disabilities and anxiety uh, for a few years. So really got to see what these kids look like when they're actually in a classroom. Um, and I supervised over, you know, a bunch of teachers. We had 84 kids across four school buildings. Um, and then after that, I started doing a lot of consultations uh, in all different kinds of schools. So I got this awesome experience to see how everybody did it, how all these awesome, fabulous teachers taught kids and I got to pick and choose the things that I thought worked best. And then I combined that with the science um, and was really able to put that out in a way uh, that really showed how kids learn and develop actually, not what this, the one study said, but what do the 10 studies say? And then how do you implement that practically in your household and in your classroom? And um, over the pandemic, you know, a lot of schools shut down, a lot of my work kind of shut down for a while. And it just got me realizing, it was actually my mother who said to me, people don't think this way and it's helpful. And if I had known this, I wouldn't, I would remember the first 10 years of my life. Cause that's what she always says. I don't remember the first 10 years of your life. Cause she had three kids under, under six. So, um, <laughs> so, you know, that's where raising brains, this book that I wrote was born and the concept of just thinking about kids like little brains. I love that's it. Great. You said, uh, what was the title of your book again? Can you repeat that? Yeah, the book's called Raising Brains. Raising Brains. Oh, I love that. So t tell us more about what is your book about and uh, who should have it in their toolbox? Uh, you know, it's funny. It started out being a book for teachers, then ended up being a book for parents. And now it's kind of a book for everybody because uh, it's really, I even say coaches, you know, anybody that comes into contact with our kids because we have such a unique a position, an opportunity as adults who are involved in kids' lives to really set them up for success and raise them to have skills and to be independent in those skills. Now, we say we're building skills, not just managing behavior. We want our kids to be able to learn to do things for themselves, not just to be able to do things when we're standing there. And I mentioned the pandemic before, but it's really been a big shift for us because I think we really realized how much our kids needed 
you know, what uh, we can do, what we as parents, we kind of are teachers in a lot of ways, and what our teachers really do in the classroom, because we lost a lot of those skills over the last couple of years. Um, so it's really about looking at your kid like a little brain. I always say there are two magic questions. What does this little brain need to learn? What can I teach this little brain? And when you shift that, not only do you reduce your own emotion and allow yourself to kind of think about it differently, um, but you're also really starting to get at how do I respond to this child in a way that's going to help them and is going to teach them something so that, you know, it's not just about behaviors and stifling them and stopping them because that's just smushing kids. That's not actually teaching uh, as annoying as those behaviors are. You know, we're trying to reduce those behaviors, but in a way that has them become more mature and um, improve their brain development. Absolutely. That sounds a lot like, you know, instead of short-term fix, it's a long-term solution. Yeah. Which I know we definitely thought a lot about when I was doing a lot of behavior type work in the um, school system. I'm wondering though, you talk about, you know, growing skills and, and instead of managing behavior and in your book and in your content, I'm wondering if there's a difference or do you see a difference in how teachers are able to do that versus parents? Yeah, this is a great question because I think teachers naturally do this. This is about when you're, when you're teaching math skills, you're breaking down those skills in order to teach them how to do fractions, for example, or you're getting number sense in order to be able to apply that to the concepts of math. Um, but I think that as parents, we don't often think about the social and emotional growth that our kids have, and even about teaching in that way. You know, they, I mean, I studied the brain for over 15 plus years, and then I had my daughter, and they handed her to me, and luckily I had a C-section, so I was in there a little bit longer, and they're like, take her home. And I was like, like right now, or do you want, like, is there a class first or something? Like, don't, don't I need to take a test, you know? Um, yeah. you no, know, just to drive a car, it turns out, but you can raise a human completely yeah. without a test. I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> yes, like no education. There's the, and then there's the pre-baby classes, right? Like, so I kind of knew the feeding and pooping thing, and I got, I got those and maybe some sleeping. Um, but after that, you know, they start like talking to you and looking <laughs> you for um for what to do and i think as a parent who hasn't had the background in education it is a unique way of approaching the world um and kids do model absolutely but they need things they don't know everything they don't come out knowing everything and they don't come out picking everything up and so you really have to start breaking down skills and although we all want well-behaved kids, and especially if we're running crazy, we have working parents, and everyone's trying to get somewhere, taking the time to stop and think about how do I help this child learn the, that long-term skill? Because if they learn, I mean, spoiler alert, if they learn the long-term skill, then the, the, it's less on you over time, you know? So it, it's a lot mm -hmm. less taxing, but it is a little bit more work up front to be able to do it. Um, and so I think that the difference in skill building is breaking down the skill and then building them back up. So for example, if a kid, um, this happened with my daughter a, a, a little bit ago where she was having fight, a fight with friends and she came back in and you know everybody hates her, she hates them, everything's horrible. And I could have said, you know, don't ever play with Susie again and I'm gonna call her mother and she can't talk to you like that, right? And that would be modifying that behavior. That would just be trying to stop the things and fix it. But instead, you know, I luckily had the time because you're not going to do this with every single time she says she has a fight with a friend. But I do what a sixth grade teacher would do with recess, which is said, hmm, what do you think happened there? You know, do you think she meant to do that? What was her intention? What was your intention? How could you communicate with her how you're feeling right now? 
do you think you should do it now? Or do you think you should kind of wait a few minutes till you calm down and then maybe you could, should you write her a letter? You know, all of these things where I'm asking questions. So that's a reflective questioning technique to ask questions versus giving the answer. And I'm taking the time to let her little brain figure out what she needs to do because the likelihood is that it was both of them and they're both jerks to each other, right? They were doing something, but, and that's life, right? But now Mm -hmm. she's starting to learn the skill of, okay, when that happens, what can I do about it? And how do I communicate how I'm thinking and feeling in a way that someone else can hear me? I want that friend back. Is that friend worth it? Why? You know, all, there's so many skills around that. And I think that's the idea behind building skills instead of managing behavior. So the next time she has a fight with a friend, instead of her running to me and saying, I hate them, she might tell me about it, but she might say, I'm writing her a letter, you know, or I'm going to, I'm going to text her, but not right now. I'm going to wait till tomorrow. Cause I'm angry, you know? And then, and that's, that's when you know, you've hit the sweet spot is when they start to pick up on the skills that you've kind of cued um, for a little bit. And, you know, I talk a lot about a couple different parts of the brain, Um, And I think the two main parts that I talk about a lot are the amygdala, which is the emotion center of your brain. I call her Amy G because she's just so emotional. Um, And I actually had an awesome 17 year old uh, artist draw up these characters. So she drew her like a puffer fish, you know, and if you teach or you are around preteens or teens, you totally know who Amy G is, right? You like step (laughs) wrong in the room and poof, there she goes. And she's all spiky and you're like, oh, I'm going to want to get hit. Um, that's Amy G and she, her job is emotion. Um, again, preteen, that's her job. Um, teen, that's their job, emotion. And then you have Franny. She's the frontal lobe of your brain. And I picture her kind of like, like a secretary in the school. You know, she's the one that's actually running everything. Like if she's out, we're in trouble. If the principal's out, everybody's got it covered. But if if he thinks he runs the school, but let's be honest, it's the secretary, you know, like everybody, everything's going right. And I kind of picture her like an octopus, like she's got all these arms everywhere. And Franny's job is to, yes, think, is to regulate Amy G, which takes a whole heck of a lot of time. Um, (laughs) It is to pull information that you've already learned, to organize the plan. So she's got her hand in everything. Again, think your secretary in the school. So the interplay between Amy G and Franny is a really big one. And it's one we have to teach. We teach it to ourselves all the time. You know, when, when we're really angry and our Amy G is going, our Franny is trying to calm it down, trying to relax, trying, but sometimes she can do it. And sometimes she can't. And it comes into play as teachers, but it also comes into play with us as parents. Mm -hmm. And so we have to teach that Amy G Franny relationship and what that means, why you should wait till tomorrow, right? Because Amy G's going and Franny needs some time to help calm her down. You can't think logically and reasonably and plan and problem solve while Amy G is all puffed up and spiking you. Mm -hmm. This is a a random question off of what you were just talking about, Um, but I thought of it and like how us teachers can be so calm and like ready to handle these. I'm, I'm a high school teacher. So like ready to handle these like high school emotions and everything. And we can very easily like talk our kids through it and get them to calm down and like be in a good place to like move on with class. And then it's like the bell rings, school's over. Now you have to go home to your family and do the same freaking thing, except for it's so much harder because it's now your own kids. Do you have any, like, any suggestions for, like, especially teacher moms will say, 
who deal with that all day in the classroom and then have to come home and deal with it in the evening. Oh, I love this question. Totally. (laughs) And it's so reasonable, right? It's so much easier to do it with kids that are not yours. And I have this clinically too. (laughs) You know, if I can totally do all of the things I'm talking about, I help parents and teachers through this all day long. Right. And then my son will come in and be like, can I have a snack? I'm like, I'm busy. Can't you see that? Right. (laughs) Um, You know, this is totally normal and natural. And The difference is there's this uh, biological, emotional connection with your own kids. Your Amy G's are hooked. They are hooked. And there is, you know, just a different level of it. And Franny isn't as good at regulating Amy G when you have that kind of connection. So first of all, give yourselves a break because (laughs) it's totally reasonable. And then you add the fatigue of doing that all day long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got like a double whammy because now Franny's tired, right? So she doesn't have as much brain power to work with. She's been doing this thing all day long. You know, she wants to go home too. And now you got to do it twice. So, you know, there just some understanding and acceptance is that first step. And the second step is really to make sure you're winding down in between in some way. And I say that, but it, you know, I know it's not easy, right? Mm-hmm. So, but even thinking about the drive home, if you can keep the music off, if you can give yourself, you know, I often want to talk on the phone, do this, do that. And sometimes you have to, right? Sometimes you're planning for the rest of how the afternoon is going to go. But even like five minutes of giving your brain a turnoff is definitely going to be helpful in that transition getting a snack. We know uh, the food that you eat turns into the chemicals your brain uses. So a nice, healthy, like Greek yogurt, uh, apple, banana, you know, something like that, that's going to help you um, kind of sustain is definitely going to be helpful. And then really taking this approach home, because sometimes we turn off the teacher hat and put on the mom hat. But really the idea of looking at your kid like a little brain is going to be helpful. So if you have a little kid throwing a hissy fit on the floor, kicking and screaming because you handed them juice, I don't know why, right? They're kicking and screaming. Now, clearly juice was not the solution. Um, They're, you know, you could take that personally. You could say, oh my gosh, I don't want, you know, this is again, like I need to stop this behavior. Or you could think, what does this little brain need to learn? What can I teach this little brain? At that point, this little brain probably wanted something else, couldn't communicate that, and now they're kicking and screaming. So you can go one of two ways here. You can say, you know what? They need to learn to use their words. This is where we always tell kids, use your words, use your words, because we're teaching them communication skills. Or you can say, this is an emotion management issue. It's been all day, or maybe this is something you're consistently working on. You know, We need to help them calm down, so we're going to give them a little calm down time and then talk to them about, hey, if there's something that you need, you can say, I'm upset. You can say, I need juice, but you need to take a couple big breaths before you do that so you don't kick and scream on the floor because you can't kick and scream on the floor. I can't help you then. You know, so now my Amy G's tuned off because I'm not taking this personally. I'm not thinking I have to stop this behavior. I'm not thinking, oh my gosh, people are gonna think I'm such a terrible mom because my kid's kicking and screaming on the floor. You know, instead I'm able to think about that kid like a little brain. And this goes to even all the way up through teens, preteens, you know, your kid is screaming at you up the stairs, you know, I don't want to go there. You always make me do this, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, make you do this. Do you know how many things I've done just for you today? Right. And you're all, you start, your Amy G starts going. If you can think of this and think, okay, so did something happen at school or maybe their body is just going through so much, you can't figure it out. You know, you start to go through your checklist of, 
are they hungry? Actually, I don't remember the last time they probably ate something, you know, or is there a friend issue? I've been hearing, I've been not hearing a lot, you know, like when the texts start going and you start to think about, you become this brain detective. And when you do that, you keep your EMEG down and you get better at, at picturing. That doesn't mean they can stump up the stairs and tell you they hate you. That you'll address at another time. But instead of going right in at that, which is going to result in what, right? It's going to be, no, I hate you. No, I hate you. You can't say that to me. And blah, blah, right? It's just going to escalate. Mm. Instead, you let the behavior go for a minute, maybe. And then you go in and you say, hey, you doing okay? Everything going okay? And mm. then you can talk that out and give them a strategy for, hey, next time say, I'm having a tough time. I need a minute. Skill building instead of managing behavior. Yeah. I, I need to tone my Amy G down sometimes, I think. That would uh-huh. definitely help. So yeah. you could say, like, my Amy G is going nuts. Your, yep. your Amy G is going nuts. Like we need, and even just that external reference to something really helps everybody kind of understand what's happening and then calm down. Mm-hmm. It also doesn't help that my child is probably one of the most stubborn children I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. And anything that comes from me is like, she wants nothing to do with. So I call those kids spirited kids. I made a whole course on spirited kids because my son is also one of those. And you do have to approach them very differently, right? Yeah. Really yeah. different parenting approach. And that's the fun fact is that you, you'll, you never get one that's the same, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll have one stubborn one and then you'll have one that's really calm. And then you'll have, you know, it's just like you just, and then you, you're, you have to shift your parenting up. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. All right. I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, as I was like creeping on you on IG yesterday, I was like, yes. Oh my gosh. I've been wanting to talk about some of these topics for forever and who better to talk about them with than a brain specialist. So, um, the first one is how we process our thoughts and then, how we can use that process out loud. You kind of just touched on it, like talking about it with your kids as you're both going through it. Um, But like, how then are they going to know that they're processing or like, how can you use that to talk out loud so that they know that what they're processing is normal um, or not normal maybe. (laughs) And can you, um, can you just like get into that? Yeah. So there are two things that are required for change. One is insight and one is conflict. So I'll hold off on the conflict and talk just about the insight for now. In order to be able to make change, we have to know what's happening. So we'll see this in the classroom often with kids maybe who are ADHD, right? So we say to them, well, we're going to just, we're going to reinforce you for paying attention. Um, but if they don't know what paying attention is and they don't have the insight into that, they can't do it. And so then they fail and then we, you know, they have trouble. We give them a a star chart or behavior chart, but we never teach the skill. So if we start to teach the skill for them, for example, like, um, you know, you're going to sit here every minute, this timer goes off. I want you to check whether you're paying attention or not. That's it. And I'm going to check it. And if you match then you're going to get a reward. It could be 40% of the time that you're paying attention, but you match, you're going to, we're going to get a reward. That gives you insight. They start to learn it. And then after that, after they get that, you start to say, okay, now I want you to be 90% paying attention um, to match with me. And then we reward. That gives them that. But there are other skills we want to teach and that's insight, right? So they learn the, how to pay attention and now we can reinforce it. And it's also going to become naturally reinforced because they're going to get better and feel better about it too. 
But if we want to teach things like problem solving, for example, that's a tough thing to teach. Um, we have strategies like you can use a PACT to solve a problem, P-A-C-T. So problems, actions, consequences, try it. And there's a million of them that you can lay out. And you can use that as a structure in your classroom and a structure at home, right? So your kids come to you again, problem on the recess, uh, at recess, it's always in the unstructured times, right? Mm -hmm. So, or at lunch, you say, okay, what's the problems? What are the actions we can take? What are the consequences to those actions? And which ones do we want to try? But the secret weapon is what you just talked about, which is actually modeling our own thought processes to our kids. And you can do this in the classroom or at home. And as a mom, I can guarantee you that after you hear this, you will realize how much you actually do in your head that you never say out loud, mm -hmm. right? You're driving the minivan, maybe everybody's screaming and yelling in the back and you're going through the whole day and how the heck you're going to manage all those 50 things, but you're not talking out loud about this. And I've given this example before, but I can tell you that it's been so impactful for my own kids. Um, we used to have dinner at my, you know, at my parents' house on Tuesday nights with, and it would just be me and the kids. And as we're driving home, every time I'm starting to get anxious, my kids are little, I'm like, we have, we're late now, it's dark out. We got to get to bedtime, got to go through the whole routine and get them into bed before, you know, the witching hour before we have to go to school <laughs> the next day. Right. And so we'd play this game and the game we play would be, what do we do first? So it's, it, you know, I decided to start teaching some sequencing time management skills. So we would say, you know, well, do you get into bed and then go potty and then put your pajamas on, you know, and they'd giggle. No, you don't do that. You put your pajamas on first. I'm like, okay, so we put our pajamas on, then we're going to take a bath and then we're going to get into bed. No, that doesn't make, and we just talk through this game. And over time, you, you noticed my kids would start doing that. My daughter, Juliana, is actually probably the better problem solver than me at this point in the house. She's 12 now. And it's just a matter of saying, okay, well, we have to get, you know, you two have to get to practice and this one has to, you know, has, has homework to do. And then everybody has to get in bed. And I think somebody wanted ice cream. How are we going to get all that stuff done? Mm -hmm. You know, we just talk it out loud a little bit more. Talking out problems at work you know, interestingly has been a really, um, I do this with uh, my clients oftentimes. We'll talk through things with teachers or with classrooms or with kids, um, but it's neat to watch it with your own kids because again, you don't realize how much you're not talking to your kids about. So I have now started talking to my daughter about issues with a friend or the way I feel about something my mom did or, you know, whatever my sister did, you know, whatever it is, talking out social problems, talking out my, my issues with my relationships, with work, with what happened on a case that day, how, what the dynamic was with the teachers. And she has picked up to the point where now she is starting to talk about her life that way to me. Whereas before our interactions were very much like, how was school? Good. How was work? Great. Right. Let's get you to practice. Mm -hmm. But the model that you do teaches your kids how to interact with you and the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, she's now when she asks me about my day, she actually wants to know and she can have a back and forth about me because the, the modeling of it is there. And you might notice this too: the difference between high schooler kids, plus your younger ones, your younger ones, they're not going to be able to do this as much, but there's a shift in your parenting and in teaching around that age, like 11, 12, a little um, earlier, probably with girls than boys, where you can actually start to model a lot more of this out loud. 
So in the younger ages, you're modeling more like sequencing skills, the time management stuff, the problem solving stuff, how you might feel about something, but at a very basic level. Like I'm annoyed at Mimi right now, but I know Mimi loves me and she, you know, she didn't mean to annoy me. So I just have to find out a way to tell her what happened so that she can respond to me because I know that we need to talk it out. Very basic level. You know, when I talk to my daughter, you know, I might get into more details about, you know, how I feel about something or what, what's actually happening. And then, you know, she can parrot that stuff back to me. So by doing that, talking that out loud, just like you would teaching fractions, right? Let's just use fractions. So it's like you make the denominators the same. You make the numer numerators the same. They're step by step. We go through each one. Is this bigger or smaller? Is this, if you multiply them or divide them, right? We talk all that out loud, but we forget to do that sometimes with the social emotional skills. So the second thing we wanted to chat about was um, nutrition and how that affects our brains. And so we're hoping um, to have a conversation about why nutrition is so important for not just our bodies, but our brains, but then also um, take it a step further and, and talk about maybe how maybe our kids' nutritional habits aren't exactly the best. How do we encourage them to change those nutritional habits without shame. And I just, I think, especially with girls, there can be harm, unintentional harm when we talk about nutrition in the long term. Um, so just kind of how, how to handle that without causing an issue. <laughs> yeah. This, I, I, yeah. I mean, I think it's really important to recognize nutrition when it comes to brain health, because what we eat turns into the chemicals that our brain uses to function. I don't know why, you know, I, again, I had studied brain science forever, but when that finally clicked for me, I was like, oh my goodness, everything I eat turns into the brain chemicals. I mean, other than the stuff that goes out, that's crazy. Um, and when, I think when you recognize that it becomes much more about being able to think clearly and function better than it does about weight, um, or, you know, look or thing or things like that. Uh, and I found that kids respond really, really well to that. So when it comes to shaming, this isn't about weight. This is about brain function. This is about being able to think clearly and feel better and do your work better and talk to your friends better. Um, even to the point of being able to perform on your video game better. You know, it is <laughs> all about brain health and not really about the physicality to it. And it's kind of neat when you get into the science of it, because there's some fun little uh, tricks that you can use something like cinnamon, you know, that's a brain cleanser. So a little bit of cinnamon, uh, on something, you know, especially on an oatmeal, something that's really high in fiber and really good for your brain, uh, can go a long way. So once kids start to realize, Hey, that can make me think clear. Yeah. That turmeric is also one of those, even things like, you know, caffeine to a degree can, can be helpful for certain kids. If you have ADHD, doing something like sipping on maybe a Gatorade throughout the day, just giving a little boost of glucose, which glucose is actually, although it's sugar, it's the fuel of the brain. Now it becomes much more about how, what can I eat that's going to help me think better and feel better uh, instead of just about body image. So I, I like that method because that always automatically gets around shame to me and really starts to hone in on, okay, now we're talking about balanced diets for reasons. For example, if you have the bad fats, right, instead of the good fats, those bad fats make your cells stiff. It is not, it has nothing to do with body. It's the fact that when you have stiff cells, they can't move as quickly. They can't respond as quickly. They can't adapt as quickly. So when you eat a big 
bucket of fried chicken or something with a lot of, of the, of the bad fats in it, you feel that you feel that automatically. Um, a lot of times big holiday meals, right. Have a lot of extra fats and oils in it and you start to feel that, but there are good fats and good healthy fats that also help your brain. And those fats don't stiffen your cells and they actually help to move things around. So now it becomes much more about playing with that. And when you think about breakfast, you're thinking about, okay, maybe I want some Greek yogurt and some granola because those are going to be really healthy brain boosting um, fuel for me. And even when you have, I give this example in the book, but I use it in my own life. Um, you have no access to food and you're starving and there's a vending machine in front of you and it's all candy. You still end up making slightly better decisions. So for me, it's like peanut M&Ms because I know there's peanuts in them. And so that is going to, the nut aspects is going to get, is going to take me just a little bit longer. And I might even eat that to give me that kind of quick energy. Maybe I have to do a presentation and I need that quick jolt of sugar, that glucose, and I'm going to do that. And now it's going to give you that bump up. And then, you know, I kind of will, I'm going to have a little bit of a bump down. I can fill that in. So it becomes about playing with that a lot more. I am so about nutrition for everybody. Uh, I started coaching two, a little over two years ago now. And like, I just started getting into like the gut health and like how that all interweaves with like our brain and everything. And it's also interesting. I love it. Um, so I try and like even bring that into my classroom too. Mm -hmm. uh, we have so many kids who I just, I see the things that they eat during the day and the things that they drink. And so I'm always like, when they're walking into my class, I'm like, is that a good choice? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we allow energy drinks in our schools. It just boggles my mind, but I have some kids who will come in and drink three energy drinks in a day. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, how are you even functioning? And I will like, I'll sit, I'll have a conversation with the whole class about it and how terrible it is. And like the facts teacher is across the hallway. So she's like right on board with me too. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, that's great. And tying it for them to their performance on their tests and mm -hmm. their performance in class. You know, I think that gives them a very tangible thing and they start to tie it. And then you can even give them the fun research of, you know, when you, if you're, I don't know if you're allowed to chew gum in school, but if you're eating something or chewing gum as you're learning something, and then you do the same thing for the test that you're more likely to remember it. You know, we have that context to our memory. Um, so that's always a fun one to, uh, to teach the high school kids too. They play around with their own nutrition. Cause it's again, that more about the way you're thinking and those energy drinks, they just bring you up and drop you. Um, and that's probably why they're doing three because they're feeling this big drop and they think they need the energy drink when really something, you know, high in protein, lower in fat, it's going to sustain that energy, give them different kinds of glucose, right? So we want more complex, um, you know, something more like a wheat bread versus a, a white bread mm -hmm. is going to help them sustain them longer. And we want them to start making those choices, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm so, I could talk about that forever, but I, <laughs> I want to, you know, keep going because I have one more big question. And this one is one that we've been wanting to do like an entire podcast episode on. Um, but it just hasn't happened yet. So, uh, this is how 
I, I saw a re I think it was a reel you did or something and um, like screen time and social media and what kind of a negative impact that is having on our kids in school. We've got kids in elementary school with smartphones who are on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and their parents have no clue what they're looking at. And I see how much time our kids spend on their phones in school. And it like, I know at my school, we're, we're pretty good. We've gotten a system in place um, where they can use it in the hallway, they can use it at lunch, uh, but they can't use it in the classroom unless their teacher is like specifically told them to take it out and like use an app or something like that. Um, but you know, I, I see how it is playing such a negative part and they are not engaging with their peers that are right in front of them. And instead they're looking at this false reality on social media. They're getting into this comparison mode. They're only looking at the, the positive highlights from people's lives. And they think like, that's what life is supposed to be. And, um, you know, I, once in a while, I'll just get like this wild hair up my butt and I'll like ask my kids to pull their phone out because maybe I caught somebody on their phone or something and I'm not like shaming them, but I just want them to realize like how much time they're actually spending on their phone. And, um, so I'll have them do like the little, what is that? The little, the check, whatever that's called. Mm -hmm. And this one girl in eighth grade, her for the, for the day before, it was 18 hours, 18 hours of screen time. And I was like, how is that even possible when you are supposed to be eating meals? You're supposed to be in class. You're supposed to be sleeping for like eight to 10 hours. And you have 18 hours of screen time. I'm like, <laughs> mind blown. Like, I just, I like, can you just talk to like the negative effects that, that phones on our kids are having? Well, this is a actually pretty complex issue, right? Yeah. And I think I think about this a lot because one, I have my own kids, right? And two, I'm in and out of schools all the time. And three, I have my phone often. If you think about the amount of time you're on your own phone, you realize that this is probably an issue. So I, I think that, again, I'm really big on practicality. So it's not practical to never have screen time, to not have your phone, right? But the pieces that we wanna look at, again, what is our, these little brains need to learn? What can we teach these little brains? It's about the skills. So when you have a kid who's, who's on TikTok, for example, constantly, what's happening with their brain is that they're, they're learning that they're you really jumping attention to attention. This is why our kids with ADHD can play video games and be on TikTok forever because it jumps in high, uh, attention. Um, it, these are things that are really exciting to look at, right? So it's, it's a lot of jumps. So it's not that they can't pay. It's just, uh, they usually can't sustain over time to something that isn't as stimulating. This is really stimulating over time. So now, even with my own brain, I notice, you know, I've like the Instagram brain where I get my information from Facebook and Instagram because I really only have the span of attention for that short reel or that short period of time to get the information. That being said, that is becoming the way of the world also. So we have to find a balance. It's about moderation with the brain, everything in moderation. So we want to train kids to be able to be on Zoom, to be able to learn virtually, to be able to interact through text and emails and social media. But we also need to make sure we're balancing that with an understanding of, hey, you've been on your phone for 18 hours. So 
you know, let's talk about what addiction is, what that means. What if I told you I want to take your phone away? How would that feel? Mm -hmm. And now we're building that skill. Remember that, that short term time for the long term gain where they're going to start to want to moderate themselves because, you know, addiction is, and now we start calling this addiction and looking at it and what it does to the brain. The brain just wants more and more and more of it. And it's getting more kicks of glucose. You're starting to um, get that reward center. Um, pathway uh, built up and it's, it's going to get to the point where you're using it all the time. Is that something you want to do? Do you want to engage in the world in this way? And where is the balance for that? So now, I mean, this is why we even have on the phone ways you can moderate your own uh, screen time, which I always found interesting. Um, and I have a lot of friends who, who do that, who block themselves out of their phone. That speaks to the addictive quality of these things. Our brain likes stimulation. It wants it. It's going to want whatever it can get. And so it's up to us to be able to make sure that we ourselves are modeling good, you know, phone use, putting the phone down at times. And those of us who have businesses that use social media um, to get our word out, to be able to help more people, it's very hard because you want to try to make sure you're putting your information out in the world so people can get it. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to be on social media that much either. You don't want to be on your phone that much either. So really, it's about finding this balance. So the key things that I always say to pay attention to are, you know, if you have a kid with attention problems, they and they're sucked into these electronic devices, either games or the phone, you'll know it's too much when they come off of it and they're really grumpy and they're, they just look really fatigued. It means their brain is way overstimulated and that's not a good thing. So I tend to look for the behaviors in our kids that show that it's negative. Um, and this changes over time. You know, it, there was a time where my daughter could come off you know, couldn't come off TV at all. You know, I would tell her she needed to leave. She'd be cranky. She'd be whiny. And I knew that that was just not working for her. Whereas my son could say, okay, mom, turn it off and no big deal. Now it's kind of flipped because my son has started to play more video games and things like that. And so he is more sucked into his phone than she is. She can kind of come off. So we're really looking for those behaviors. Um, and we have to recognize the fact that there's a lot of socialization that happens over social media. You touched on some of the negative effects, but there's also some positive effects of that too. When we had a pandemic, we were all virtual socialization. Um, and I foresee the future being a lot about video game play um, online, not as much going out, being able to do wine nights, uh, you know, more on Zoom necessarily than going out. Now we're going to balance that as much as we can, but there is a virtual component to our world that we need to make sure kids um, have access to. Um, that being said, you know, there's also the negative side effect of seeing only the best of things out there, seeing, um, you know, just like we used to see in magazines, we'd see images of women that were just not attainable. Um, and we'd have to talk about that and work on that. And I think we've started to see some other kinds of bodies. You know, we have now a big role as parents and teachers to show the other side too, and to make sure kids do have an understanding that this isn't real life, that these are, you know, this is the Instagram life. This is what things look like. And what do you post? Do you post the times that you're, you know, that you didn't shower? Do you post the times that you did shower? Do you post the times that you're with a lot of friends or do you post the times that you're not? And starting to, again, use it as a teachable moment and building these skills up. So you're finding that balance of how much to let them on so that they can still be social and learn, learn virtual social skills. Because I don't know if you ever heard a bunch of boys playing video games. But I have looked at my son and said, what the heck are you doing? You would never speak to somebody like that. 
you know, don't talk to anybody that way, you know, and we've realized, wow, we have to moderate and listen and teach on the virtual platforms as much as we have to do, you know, when a kid is over your house playing together and you say, oh, that's not a way, why don't you redo that? Mm-hmm. And that's weird because you think when they're playing virtually, oh, you know, they're, they're doing this, but you really have to, you do have to monitor it and you have to monitor the text, you have to monitor the social media platforms a lot more. So it's a different kind of a parenting than it used to be. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I did have one of those like one-on-one conversations with one of my seventh graders because his, his phone was just, oh my goodness. So I did end up taking it one day. Um, Cause it was just that habit for him, pulling it out, looking at it, pulling it out, looking at it. And like, I have a rule in my class where I don't even want to see it. And so I had given him enough chances and I just told him, I was like, well, it's mine now. And he was like, well, what if I don't give it to you? And I'm like, well, then you can go give it to the office. I'm like, those are your two choices. And so he chose to give it to me. And then I had it in my pocket and it kept going off and it kept going off and it kept going. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, this is why our children cannot focus because mm-hmm. we have it like like I'm parents and like, I know I am in my classroom all the time. I'm telling my kids, make sure your phone is on silent. But what I really need to say is make sure your phone is on silent and make sure that you have completely silenced it and that your like notifications aren't going off. Like, I think I'm going to do that at the beginning of the year. They have a focus mode now on the iPhone. So how much of a problem it is, right? right. Pull their phone out and, and make sure like, your notifications need to be completely silent, not buzzing, not a light going off, like all those little distracting things that pull us away from what we're supposed to be putting our attention on. And they just don't even realize it. But I mean, I was trying to like, I I started a tally, like how many times his phone was going off. And I'm like, I lost track. I couldn't even, it was just constantly buzzing. I'm like, and this, (laughs) ah, and this is, these are Snapchats coming in from other kids in other classes. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, my Lanta. And so like, I had this conversation with him when I gave him his phone back at the end of the day. And I was like, here's the deal, dude. Like this is an addiction when you're pulling it out of your pocket like that every five seconds and you're checking the time or whatever you're doing, that's a bad habit. And we need to replace that with something else. And this is becoming an addiction for you because you didn't want to give your phone up to me. And that's telling me that that's a, a, that's a problem for you. Like think of maybe adults in your life that have a smoking problem or an alcohol problem and like this phone, that's becoming that for you. And so I think it's important to recognize that it's not just a problem for our kids, right? It's a problem for us too. It's a vital issue right now. And, you know, we're all kind of working on it and you can tell when Apple designs something Mm -hmm. so that we can get around the use. I mean, that, that how big of a deal this right. actually is for us. And I think that's important when talking to kids, you know, and uh, we even talked a lot about uh, growth mindset uh, in this particular podcast, but I think the idea of this glow and grow chart, I always like to get kids to have goals. And so when you set your classrooms up and you set your, your household up in this growth mindset approach, where it's, it's not about failing, it's about growing. It's about building skills, right? And so on the glow side, it's the things that you're really awesome at, that you just really are doing a great job at. And on the grow side, it's the things you want to work on. Then when you have those conversations, it's like, okay, listen, you're a rock star here in the classroom, you know, when it comes to your performance on these tests, but they've started to slip. And this is why it's likely because you're being distracted. So we're going to put this on the grow side and now it becomes something that you guys are 
working on together. But, you know, the answer is definitely not no uh, access to electronics. You know, that doesn't, it's not going to be effective. It's not going to teach them how to be in the world. I mean, right now you have companies like Google and Apple and everybody who need smart, quick um, people who can jump from task to task at times. And then there's going to be other people that kind of do more of a sustained attention work. So one of the biggest issues with schools is it's not what it used to be. You know, it used to be about content. It is no longer about content. I can ask Alexa or Google any content that I want to know. It's now more about how to learn how to learn, how to learn how to grow, how to absorb that information. How do I assess this information? See if it's one valid, right? What source does it have? Does it make any sense? And then how do I incorporate that into what I know and decide how I want to think about it? It's a very different job for schools than what we used to do. You know, we used to use more of the content to do that. And so, you know, shifting that focus up, we do, we, we become um, people who have a lot more of these conversations. And the one that you, first of all, Mylanta is such a teacher uh, phrase that I just giggled when you did it. But, um, Besides that, like even just the discussion you talked about having with that one student, what parents don't realize is teachers have those kinds of conversations like, hey, um, do you smell anything? You know, like we wear deodorant in this class for a reason, you know, like just like that, just even those kinds of conversations. And for two years, no one had those conversations with kiddos. And so what we're seeing is post pandemic schools look a lot different. Um, homes look a lot different because we missed a lot of that skill building. And, you know, so a lot of the work I've been doing going in and training and working with teachers is helping teachers figure out what do you do post pandemic? Because, you know, we thought we had to differentiate learning before, but now you have some kids who learn sixth grade, some kids who are still kind of on fourth grade material, some kids who've caught up, some kids who haven't caught up. Some kids who talk to you like you have never heard a child talk to you before in your entire life. Um, and some, you know, are much more polite and are, are looking at this kid thinking, is this the way I should act? You know, and that creates such a unique uh, classroom structure these days. And it becomes much more important to set your classroom up in a way that's going to be conducive to all these learners and really uh, figure out what to do that will help to gr continue to grow their brains since we lost so much time. Mm -hmm. We're going to kind of wrap this up. Uh, we for sure want to know um, where we can get your book, number one. And then number two, you have a teacher training day. You probably have different verbiage for it, so I'll let you tell us about it. But you have a uh, teacher training day coming up. Tell us all about the things and where we can find all this stuff. Yeah, so really, really, really exciting. Um, I do a lot of trainings for, uh, for school districts. And uh, I get teachers who ask me all the time, what if my school district doesn't want to do this training? Can I do it on my own? And we were just talking about everything that happened in the pandemic. And so I really wanted to change things up a little bit from what I normally do instead of doing hundreds of teachers at one time in districts. Um, I wanted to give teachers an opportunity to get some of the content on their own because I know so many people have really been looking for that kind of work. So uh, we designed a teacher training that the first time we're doing it this year, it's a virtual training, so you can join us all over the country. I'm on the East Coast, um, so it'll be nine, uh, nine to 12 on uh, Tuesday, August 2nd is our teacher training, and we have a link that we'll put here, um, or you can also go to my website, which is brainbehaviorbridge.com, 
and you'll see that pop up there as well. Or of course on our Instagram too. And our Instagram is at Dr. Dr. Sarah, S-A-R-A-H-L-A-L-L-E-N. So Dr. Sarah L. Allen, and we have all the information there for you on this teacher training. So um, I'm excited because this is basically my big give back. You know, teachers have worked so hard over the last couple of years. Um, they've worked hard for my kids. I've seen the toll it's taken on them. And so for under $25, um, you can join us for this training. And you mentioned the book, and I, I know my team will be really mad at me for doing this, but there's also a bonus way of getting a free book after the training um, if you'd like that too. So it's almost free if you think about it. So I would love for people to join us. And we want to hear all about uh, what schools have been like for you, what you need to know. But in this training in particular, we're going to go over some basic brain science stuff, kind of like the way I talked about with Amy G and Franny. So at a nice level where you can really grasp it, use it in your classrooms if you want, or use it to just understand what's happening with your kiddos. And we'll talk about some different brains. So I talk about any and outy brains. And really what, what, what happens is teachers often say to me, I've tried everything and nothing is working, especially lately. And it's not usually that they don't have the, the tool. It's, it's usually that we need to pair the right brain with the right tool and use it in the right way. And although that sounds overwhelming, there's a very simple process that you can use to be able to start to do that for yourself in the classrooms, especially if you're not getting the support necessarily from your administration that you need, which is another thing I've been hearing a lot. So you could definitely go, again, my website, brainbehaviorbridge.com will tell you all about it. Um, and, or you can just reach out to me directly and it's just, um, you just at, uh, Dr. Allen at brainbehaviorbridge.com and I'll send you the info, but we would love to see you guys in there, um, it for the morning of, uh, well, morning, if you're on the East coast and afternoon, if you're on the West coast and somewhere in between <laughs> if you're yeah, in the yeah. middle, uh, but we would love to have you. And, uh, we really want to get some great training out to teachers that way. So it's our little bit of give back. If you just want the book, you can go to Amazon. Uh, and you'll find the book, uh, Raising Brains there as well. Awesome. And I think you said you were working on a audiobook for it, right? I am working on it. Yes. I know people keep asking me. Um, I've been working so hard on these trainings and uh, we have some courses for parents as well. So, uh, we talked about spirited kiddos. Yes. Uh, I've got a course for spirited kiddos and um and uh, we, I have some challenges and parent challenges. So we work so hard on that. I haven't had a chance yes. to do the book, but I know people keep asking me. I promise <laughs> I will do the audio book. <laughs> that's, my, that's my method of reading. I have such a hard time sitting down. I have, Roberta gave me this book. Um, it's called Boundaries and I've had it for a few weeks now. And I've only been reading like a couple pages at a time. It's so hard for me to like sit down and focus on reading. So it's easier for me and um, to do the audiobook thing. But yeah, I definitely, I want to check out your book for sure. Well, the funny thing is that's how I learned too, is audiobook yeah. too. So I really have to get on it because I just haven't I done mean, it. you can only do so much, right? I, I, it's like, <laughs> I'm working on it, but I know it's on the top of my list at this point. So we're, yeah. we're getting it. <laughs> that's great. Do you care if I ask three really quick, like final rapid questions for oh, you? Okay. Uh, what are you grateful for in this season of your life right now? I am grateful for my, my children definitely. And my partner, you know, I think that it's taken when you get divorced, it takes a little while to get yourself uh, back on your foot, your feet back on the ground and get settled again. And mm -hmm. to be able to have a partner that values raising their kids as much as I do. And to be able to have four great kiddos 
um, that we're constantly working on, on things together with, I think that's honestly what I've been the most grateful about. Nice. Um, so what book are you reading right now or what podcast are you listening to that you would like to recommend to us and our listeners? So I told you that reading is similar for me. Yeah. So I could, I'm going to pick an audio book. Yes. Um, one of the ones I uh, just finished is, is actually Matthew McConaughey's book, Greenlight. Yeah. Uh, I would a thousand percent recommend listening to it because he reads it and it is probably one of the best, strangest self-help books uh, that I have ever heard. He just got such great insight and he's such a um, philosopher in the way that he thinks right. in so many ways that it was entertaining uh, you, your mouth, it, you just couldn't stop listening to it. So I'd say that. Okay. I'll have to add that one to my list. Uh, it's worth it. All right. Last one. Uh, what is a daily routine or something that you do to take care of your mental, physical, emotional, spiritual self that you're proud of? Hmm. You know, I think finding the time to do that every day is, is a really, really difficult thing. But one of the things that I actually have started doing a little bit more is uh, the first bit of time before I wake up in the morning, you know, I actually open my shades so that in the bedroom, the light comes in early. So I might be up by, you know, 530 or six, um, just by the light and to be able to lay there and allow myself to kind of let thoughts come in and out and to see what, you know, what kind of comes together in that early morning time is actually probably my, has been my savior this year, especially with so many different things going on. And so, although it doesn't sound really like a way of, of self-care, it really is for me because I've come to appreciate that time and how many thoughts I have that comes, that come together during that moment when no one else yeah, can get yeah. to me yet. hundred <laughs> percent self-care. Cause mm -hmm. you're like, in a way, kind of just like sitting there in the silence and like meditating almost. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us and spending your time, your morning with us. Um, we really appreciate it. And we're excited to get, uh, share this training and your book with our listeners. And, um, yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your summer too. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. So are you, of course, again, for those educators, it's brainbehaviorbridge.com slash educators is the way to find out that information if you're looking at it particularly. And, yeah. and we'll so much put everything in the show notes too. So wonderful. Thank you again. This was really fun. I always love, I love chatting with you. Yes. Have a great day. We want to thank you guys so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to us chat about healthy family living. We would love to hear your thoughts or any ideas you have for future episodes. So feel free to message us at the teacher mamas podcast at gmail.com or the teacher mamas podcast on Instagram. It would also mean so much to us if you would leave a quick rating or review on whatever platform you're listening from. If something really stood out to you today, don't forget to share it with someone else in your life that might need to hear it too. Spread the word. Please don't forget to share with your online community and tag us. For more positivity and inspiration on how we navigate life and the things we do on a daily basis to stay sane in the crazy, don't forget to go follow each of us on Instagram. Check the show notes for our handles.